I got an email like that from a reader, not, not pitching me, but just talking. And it was just huge paragraphs. And at the end of like six of those, he said, thank you so much for reading. And I'm like, I did not, and I'm not going to read. And you're, this is, this is being archived. My name is Sonia Simone from copyblogger.com. And you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. I'm Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com, and this episode is brought to you by the Productive Insights Done For You podcast launch service, which positions you as a leading authority in your market and successfully turns listeners into high-value customers. Book a call with me on callashroy.com to discuss how we can get started today. Hello, everyone. Today's guest is the founder of Introverted Alpha and is here to talk about how she has grown her business using some very effective and powerful pitching strategies. She's been featured on Forbes, Business Insider, The Huffington Post, and lots more. She's clearly very good at implementing because she has used Ramit Sethi's Zero to Launch program to grow her business substantially over the last three years. I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Jones from introvertedalpha.com. Welcome, Sarah. Ah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You're most welcome. So I'd love to just talk about this fantastic outreach email that you initially sent to me. What really moved me from a point of relative skepticism is not the right word, but from a point of being fairly neutral to the approach because your business is in the dating industry and I felt that it was quite far away from the industry within which I operate and from my target audience, but you pitched it so well and you talked so well about how it would benefit my audience that I couldn't help but reach out to some of my audience and say, hey, what do you guys think? And then my audience said, you should totally have her on the show. Hmm. And so here we are. So I'd like to just touch on a few aspects of that email. So I'm going to read out a little bit of your email and I'd like for the audience to just pay attention to the incredible politeness, the consideration and the savviness of this email. So the email said, Hi, Ash, I really enjoyed your recent episode with Rand Fishkin, especially the part about the more you focus on your offerings and efforts, the more potent your brand becomes. Now, this was very good because it was very specific and it demonstrated that you'd actually consumed some of the content. I found that by focusing tightly on my brand and my only program, it has worked well for me. So this is where you've demonstrated that you've actually implemented that and it's not just words. And then you introduce yourself. I'm Sarah Jones, the founder of Introverted Alpha, a dating coaching company helping out smart introverted men attract women naturally by bringing out the unique best. I'd love to join you in Productive Insights and I think these angles could work well for your audience. And then you went on to make a couple of pitches about how it would benefit my audience and you've, you know, you put out a couple of these headlines, if you like. And I think that is a brilliant way in which to pitch for a variety of reasons. One of them And the most important of them is you're demonstrating a genuine interest in your target market, which in this case happens to be a a show that you would like to be on. You're demonstrating a genuine interest in their content. You're demonstrating how you've applied that content or that principle to your business, which is very authentic. And then you've made it so easy for the person to say yes by making some specific pitches around which you can 
add value to the audience, some specific topics around which can add value to the audience. And then you go on to connect that to how that can benefit my audience. So kudos to you for doing that. I would love to hear your thoughts on what your recommendations are to our listeners about how they can do the same if they want to be featured, not just on a podcast, but maybe on you know, the Huffington Post, which you've been featured on, or the or Forbes or Business Insider. Clearly, you're very good at this. So would you like to talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. Well, thank you so much for all the things that you pointed out. Everything you said is exactly what my intention and what my hope was and yeah. writing that pitch. You're welcome. And I've actually, it's been really fun to practice. I like with anything in my life that is important, and this is important to my business, is pitching. I like to play with things and see what I'm could be doing better and what I'm already doing well and results tell me whether it's one way or another. And I've had results tell me that the way I'm pitching was not good. And so, yeah. So what I was doing when it was not working as well was I just was listening to lots of episodes, like full episodes, just to try to find these nuggets and writing so much, way too much in the beginning. You know, I wrote one sentence to you. I didn't write you two paragraphs. Because then it's just kind of like trying so hard to butter you up. And then that becomes not authentic to be working so hard and also like makes me look desperate or something. It's kind of weird. But that's what I did. Sorry, all those people that I pitched that way when I didn't know better. (laughs) Okay. So just kind of picking out one, one main thing and then saying why that mattered to you. Yeah. It's very similar, honestly, in dating. Business and dating are so similar. So if you Mm -hmm. send an online dating method, you know, something you noticed and why why you liked it. So I pointed out what I noticed. And then I said, this is why I noticed it, right? Yes. So then it makes it personal and it segues into the content of the email. So so you can do that, you know, listen to if, if you're wanting to pitch a podcast, look at the episode list and somebody that you already recognize and like, you're going to enjoy listening. So just listen to that one. You don't have to listen to the most recent one or something. Listen to one that is somebody that you like, and it's going to be fun for you. It's going to be easy. You're going to naturally click with something that was said. Compared to if you don't know who the person is, you may listen to 30 minutes and you may not have that big insight. So it makes it much easier to just pull that out and use that in the pitch. And then when you notice it, think about why. Why did you notice that? Why is that important to you? And it will come to you pretty quickly because you noticed it for a reason. And then when you segue, you introduce yourself, what your website is, generally more or less in a phrase, what your business is. And that, and, and a couple of credibility markers. So if you know someone in common with the host, if, if you have mutual friends, or, you know, if you're pitching anywhere you're pitching, if the contact that you're pitching, if you all have mutual friends, you can emphasize that. I tend to go with places that I have been published. Some people go with the amount of places that they've been published, which can be impressive. Let's say if you don't have impressive names, but you've been published, you know, in 20 places, that can be good. So think about what's your angle of how you can use a credibility marker. And then from there, that kind of holds some interest like, okay, this person isn't just like Joe Schmo off the street. They've kind of been around. They know a few things. They're savvy enough to kind of have drawn these few sentences so far. And then you say, you know, this is what I think would work really well for your audience. And you should really think about what would work well for the audience. And the way to do that is look at the titles of the podcast episodes or the posts that that person has written or the posts on that blog. Notice how they're structured, what the content is. Is it more like, hey, be inspired, you know, love life forever? Or is it like five ways to increase your ROI by blah, blah? Like, how are they writing? And what are the most, what's the tone? And then your your pitch headline suggestions 
should be matching that tone so that for it's like, you know, you're coming into their house and you're matching the way that they are rather than asking them to adapt to you. You're still being authentic, but you're being considerate as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's some very, very important points there, particularly around authenticity and consideration. It really is about the audience. And in this case, the audience is the person to whom you're pitching. And to some extent, their audience, if they have an audience, which usually they do, because you're trying to get onto a platform of some sort. And I think that is key, because if you think about it from the perspective of the person to whom you're pitching, what they are trying to do is get good quality content and information to their audience. And so if you can align yourself with their goals, it really is quite simple. You are going to be a lot more compelling than if you just said, hey, this is what I want. It's never about you. It's about the other person. And I agree. The same thing goes with dating. I've always believed that in a good relationship, you know, it's not so much about finding the right one. I think it's about being the right one. I mean, sure, it helps to find the right one, but you can only control that to some extent. What you can control is how you show up. And I think, as you said, that applies in business too. I really like your approach, which is this test and learn approach. So this is something that I'm guilty of not doing enough. And I need to do a lot more because I'm more concerned about failure than I need to be. And I don't see things as much as a sandpit as I probably should. And I do remember talking to Neil Patel in episode one and then his co-founder of Kissmetrics, Hithen Shah, in episode 42 or 43, I can't remember which one it was. They both talked about testing and how important a testing approach is. And I noticed that you have that in your mindset as well. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? (laughs) Yeah, I did not start out that way. (laughs) Right. I did not start out that way. That's been a really big growth edge for me because, you know, like what you were just saying is like, you got to pay attention to the other person rather than just thinking, hey, here's me all over your inbox, you know, (laughs) and in the process, it actually aids self-actualization to meet the other people where they are because you end up developing yourself in the process rather than being in an isolated echo chamber. So it actually is more full self-expression to do that. And it actually is liberating to do that, I think. So along those lines, I thought, so let's say if somebody says, oh, I don't know, I don't really, I just want to be myself and they should like me for me. Well, you know, we all know how that goes, right? Because that's kind of narrow-minded and you're not even being yourself in that moment. You're being like a scared version of yourself. Well, same thing with testing. If you think, oh, you know, it'll just be fine, whatever. I just fly by the seat of my pants. The way I do testing is kind of like that. Like I haven't just become like a totally different person. I still do testing in a way that feels very like in process and like kind of always moving. It's not this rigorous thing, but I still have incorporated it. So, and I've also adapted it to my style too. So um, I'm actually reading uh, this book called Better Than Before. I remembered her name, but she's wonderful. And I really enjoyed the book. And it's about habit formation. Oh, Gretchen Rubin, of course. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Right. (laughs) Right. It's about habits and it's about four different types of people and different ways of having habits. And this ties in, this exactly ties into why and how I test. And this would be very useful, I think, for all you guys listening. It's really fascinating. So there's four ways of making decisions and having habits. One way is where you embrace externally imposed decisions and internally imposed decisions. So you are like achieving, I forget what the word is for it, but you're kind of doing all the things you embrace all those expectations. The opposite of that is the rebel where you resist everyone's expectations, including your own. Okay. And then 
the one on the side over here, it's a, it's for, it's like a diamond is the obliger who accepts external expectations, but resists internal. Uh And then there's the questioner, which is what I am. And probably a lot of you guys listening and you maybe Ash might be a questioner, which is I embrace internal expectations, but I can resist outer expectations. So what she says to do for the questioners is to really, if you want to adopt a new habit, make it extremely personal, customize it very much to you so that it really is an internal habit from within rather than something that you think you're supposed to be doing. Right. Other types perform differently and respond differently. Like the obliger, that's where accountability partners are so useful because they may not do something if they thought of doing it, but if they know they're going to have to meet so-and-so every Tuesday at three o'clock, like they're going to be there. And that's really some of the only way they can meet their habits until they develop more, you know, and they're learning on their own journey. But for us and for, well, for myself, it's important to make something my own so that it almost feels like I created it rather than following something from the outside. Okay. So with this testing, with the podcast pitches, what I did was have a simple spreadsheet of the podcast I'm pitching. I have in one column, the date that I pitched them. I would pitch them all in a batch. And I, that's another way that I work is I work in batches rather than like an apple a day kind of thing. It's like 15 apples and then no apples. And then, 15, right. you know, and I embrace that because that's how I am. And it's kind of fun to know how we are and work with it and have it work with us. So I sent, let's say 10, 10 pitches, 10 or 15 pitches in the elk kind of all at once. And then I just sat and watched and waited for the responses to come through. Out of, let's say, I forget the exact numbers of my original test where I realized I could really be doing something better. Let's say it was 10 pitches. I knew three of them already, two or three of the people. And they got back to me saying, thank you, but it's not a fit. And it really wasn't, I don't think a fit. I don't think it was my pitch. I think it wasn't a fit. But the other ones, one of them I heard back from, but she was kind of like no slash maybe. And none of the others that I hear back from at all. So I was like, all right, we can do better than this. because. I was going into the business space, into pitching with businesses, because a lot of my guys have side businesses or have businesses. Whereas what I had been doing was in dating advice space, but I kind of dried out that pool. There's not that many more dating advice people that I feel resonant enough with to pitch for that to be effective, because my approach is different and it's become more different as I go. So I'm like going into another playground of the business people. So this was in stark contrast with my previous pitching results. So I knew that something was off, but now it's climbing back up to like 25% plus say yes. And it's easier for me to pitch because I do what I just said I did. You know, I just listen to my favorite one and pick out a nugget and just go with that. I don't have to listen for hours and write three paragraphs like I was doing and it wasn't even working. Also, my ideas were too high level rather than like tactical and specific and really good for that audience. So that's kind of how I test. I just like take 10, see what happens, do 10 more, see what happens. And it's sort of a mix of testing and and an intuitive process and talking about it with people that I respect and trust and who know me and can help give me good feedback. And I also love telling these people what my weaknesses are so that they can help me see if I'm doing that. So I can also remind myself if I'm doing that. Sure. The other piece that I thought was very important was follow-up. To follow up in a way so as not to be annoying, but yet to be persistent. I really loved how you used your follow-up approach. You were polite but persistent. And typically, when you're trying to get through to someone, it's increasingly difficult to do so in the first go. So it often takes two or three follow-ups. And a very high proportion of people stop after the first 
maybe second one. How many follow-ups do you typically do? So I typically say, hey, just loading this to the top of your inbox if it was someone that I definitely wanted to be on their show. But now that you're saying it, I should be doing that with all of the ones. I haven't been doing that lately, note to sell, to just do that. Hmm. And it's just so simple. You know, hey, just floating this to the top of your inbox. I, I, I know that you're busy. And I mean, I would say do that. I mean, I just said I should do it with all the ones. But as I'm saying that, I don't know. I think do that with the ones that you are especially keen on. Because if you are, then that probably means that a connection might be two-way. I mean, obviously, at this point, you're more enthusiastic than they are because you're the one who pitched them. But if you really do think it could be something and you really do feel that you know it could turn into something, then you can say, hey, I know you're busy just loading this to the top of your inbox. Just do that once if you don't hear anything back from them. Otherwise, it becomes creepy and you keep on pestering them. Again, so much like dating that it's so silly. It's just silly. <laughs> but if they do say, if they get back to you and say, yeah, you know, maybe later or something, then I put it in my calendar of when I feel like their later is. Like there's another podcast who said, oh, reach back out in the fall. So I have it in my calendar, you know, September 15th, which I feel like is pretty much fall reach out to that person because that's when he said to, and that's all's in my court. Or if they just said, you know, yeah, maybe something like that, then I may follow up if it feels like they're giving me an invitation to do that, but they're just kind of thinking it over or something. But I, if I don't hear anything back, I won't follow up more than once. Okay. Yeah. Unless I have a brand new idea later for a whole better pitch, then I'll just start from scratch. Do you recommend against following up more than once? I would say if you really feel that they're that they could be really receptive to you. I would say if you've gotten a good reception from other people, so you know you're not just like in the dark and you think you're so great, but other people are like, what is this person doing? I mean, that's like a real fear of mine, you know, like to be (laughs) out of the loop (laughs) and not aware, right? So if you haven't gotten positive feedback, like that's a real, real possibility. I mean, I'm sure Ash, you get emails every day. I get emails every day people that are not socially aware at all. And that's the last person that I want to be. It makes me cringe, especially to think I'm being that person. Right, right. So make sure that you're getting some positive feedback before you start following up more than once with somebody. But if you're getting positive feedback from like sort of equal other people, you know, that are kind of at the level of that person that you're wanting to follow up with more, then you could go for one more, let's say in a couple of weeks or something, you could say, hey, you know, I don't know. I don't like usually... Sometimes I'll start apologizing, then I'll like erase my apology. That's the great thing about email is you can take back what you said. (laughs) You can practice communication, but say, hey, again, you know, I know you're busy just floating this to the top. You know, I I won't contact you again about this just to, so you're not going to keep emailing them every other week, right? right? Kind of close the loop there unless they want to open it. So that, but that would be the max for somebody who's not responding. I mean, just, you know, give them their space. Maybe you can connect with them in another way. Maybe eventually, you know, you'll have a mutual friend and then there will be another way to connect later. But I think, you know, you only get one first impression. You only get one reputation and it's important. Mm. And so don't just like, don't do things that you feel uncomfortable with unless you just feel like it's a little bit of hesitation, but you've gotten other positive reinforcement. Okay, cool. So far, we've talked about testing and having a testing mindset, which is very important in not taking things personally when they don't work out. And it's something that I'm constantly working on. And I definitely think I'm very much a work in progress in that area. And then we talked about follow up. And I really thought what you said was interesting, which is you definitely don't want to be that guy or that girl where you're kind of 
in their face when they don't want you in their face. So you follow up once, maybe twice, if you think that there is a good, compelling reason for you to follow up, but then you give them their space. That said, it's also important when pitching to realize that a lot of these people that are being pitched are extremely busy. They are prioritizing their tasks all the time. And the truth of the matter is, if you aren't at the top of their list, it's probably because either you haven't got something compelling enough to offer them. And that's not a criticism. That just might be how it is. And they just don't have the bandwidth. And I think that's important to also accept. So I take your points about following up more than you think is appropriate. And I think on some level, we all know what is appropriate and what isn't for each individual person to whom we are pitching in terms of the number of follow-ups and so on. Can you talk to us, Sarah, about some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen people or maybe even yourself make around pitching and how to Mm. overcome them? Well, I think, you know, the biggest pet peeve I have in any pitches that I receive is just disorganized and super long I guess there's like two pet peeves. One mm-hmm. is disorganized and super long. Yep. I mean, I can't weed through all of that. Yeah. I got an email like that from a reader, not not pitching me, but just talking. And it was just huge paragraphs. And at the end of like six of those, he said, Thank you so much for reading. And I'm like, I did not <laughs> and I'm not going to read. And you're this is this is being archived. <laughs> and I'm not responding because I don't owe that. I don't owe him reading every word, like that's disrespectful. It is disrespectful. You're showing up with this huge thing like, okay, read all of this and take your time and your mental energy and your sanity and happiness, which it's going to cost you all of those to read this thing I wrote. No. So that's a big pet peeve. And it happens in pitches too. And I was doing that too, I hope a much lesser extent when I was emailing all of this kind of too much stuff about all the episodes they had done. Why was I doing all of that? But it was taxing for them. And now I'm sorry to all those people. (laughs) It's taxing, you know? Why? Why? So that's one thing to organize yourself, similar to what we talked about in the beginning here. Look at what the episodes are that they have and organize yourself around that. You're coming into their house. So you do their rules. And in the process, you become a richer person because now you're more fluid in the world compared to if you just stay stuck in your own zone you might think that that's more fun, but it's really not. It's not It's not more fun. It's more fun to learn people and communicate well. It makes you feel really good to be able to do that. So that's one thing. Organize yourself and be brief. And mm. when you write it, just keep being briefer. Anything you can cut out, cut it out. It's respectful. Respect them yep. and respect yourself, you know? So the other thing that's a pet peeve is, um, is being disrespectful and being brash or you know, making typos and not saying anything personal to that person. Mm-hmm. Like you could just be pitching anybody. And it's like, you showed up in my inbox and you didn't even knock, you know, you just like walked in, you know, it's like that. <laughs> you know, like, here's the door you go. And it's just rude. It really is rude because especially if you look at a quality over quantity mentality, which I've always loved, I've always geeked out about that. My clients love that because they're introverted men and dating and spending their energy in quality ways, which actually rejuvenates them rather than just disseminating and just, you know, that's not as much fun. So I've also had that mentality in my business a lot of quality over quantity. You know, we have a high-end program. I don't do info products or anything else, just the program or free, one of those two. And it feels great for me. It's not everybody's choice, but I love it. And then, and also who you're pitching, pitch the people that you 
genuinely feel an interest in so that when you're talking with them, you know, when you're pitching them, you have something to say. You don't have to be their number one fan. You don't even have to have known about them for that long. But like, respect them enough. And if you don't, then don't pitch them. What are you doing pitching them? You don't respect them, you know? So, so that's the other thing is be respectful and say something personal. So yeah, if you accomplish all of that and you don't do all those things, you're off to a really good start. Okay, that's great. One thing that I loved that you said was you're going into their house. And I never thought of it using that analogy, but I think it's a very good metaphor because really when you are pitching someone, you are stepping into their lounge room. You're knocking on the door and saying, can I come in? But actually, you, you're not really, there's no really allowing you into their door as, as such because you just end up in their inbox. But the point is, how are you going to show up? If you demonstrate that you've done the homework, you've been respectful, you've thought about what you're going to say, you're not going to just stand there and ramble, you are much more likely to achieve what you want, which is getting on their radar and getting on their platform. Another thing I really liked that you said is when you step out of your own world into their world and try and empathize with them, whether it is because you check out their content or try and understand their audience or both, which I recommend doing, you are actually broadening your own horizons. You're actually developing yourself as a human being and a marketer and a business person. That is a win-win. It's not that you're not enriching yourself in some way if you didn't do that. You're not wasting your time by trying to learn about this person, by trying to find out what makes them tick and see if there is some kind of an alignment between your values and their values. Because ultimately, there has to be some kind of an alignment between your mission and theirs, your value and theirs, your audience and theirs, or at least what you can bring to their audience in terms of content. It all comes back to empathy, understanding your audience, understanding the person whom you're pitching, understanding their audience, being concise, and not just hitting them with a barrage of text, which they're not going to read. If you are going to write a whole lot of text, then have subheads. It's much like writing a good quality blog post. You need a good quality headline, you need good quality subheads, and you've got to make it compelling as to why they should read that much content if you really think that much content is necessary to consume, which, by the way, in most cases, I think it's not. Yes, certainly on a very first email and on a pitch. You know, there, there's not that much stuff to say in an initial pitch. Yeah. And also, I'd like to add that just in the way that if when you research who you're pitching, you're broadening your world. Also, when you're communicating in a way that is skillful, like you're becoming that person who communicates that way. And that just feels awesome. Right, right. You're developing your communication skills. You're developing your empathetic skills. Sure, absolutely. Is it empathetic skills or empathy skills? I don't know. But either way, (laughs) you're, you're developing yourself. So... Those are some great action steps our listeners can take when it comes to becoming a better pitcher and becoming a better business person in general. There is one approach that I really think is very valuable that I think is worth checking out as well. And it's called the nine word email that was discussed by Dean Jackson. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Sarah, but it's a great way to wake up a sleepy list, an email list, but it also is very effective in engaging with a prospect for that first-time conversation. So an example of a nine-word email that you would write to a list that has been disengaged for a long time, let's say your thing is productivity, or in your case, it's dating. If they haven't opened your emails for a long time, you might send a nine-word email that would just say, 
Hey, James, were you still interested in learning more about the dating niche, Sarah? And you just keep it as informal as possible. And if they respond, because it's such a brief email, you only then take it further with the ones that actually respond. So that's a very good tactic that I think is worth looking into. And I'll probably link to that in the show notes of this episode. Are there any tips that you recommend, Sarah, or any cheat sheet, pitch document or something you would like to link to in the show notes? Yes, actually, there's a post that I wrote for Ramit Sethi's website, Growth Lab, on how to cold pitch top bloggers. And yeah, so my approach now is a little different, and I'll tell you how. In that post, I say to have your subject line like, so-and-so, I love your work. And while I don't necessarily disagree with that, I now prefer a more straightforward approach that just says you're pitching them in the subject line, you know, hey, so-and-so, a few ideas for your podcast. Okay. Because that's what the email is going to really be about. So I would modify that. So now you guys get like the most up to date because <laughs> the <laughs> post still says all those things, but I'm telling you like the latest. Right. And also I think you can be more brief than I was in those pitch examples I gave uh, in the article, more along the lines of what you and I have just talked about now, but it's a great, it's a, it's a great resource. A lot of people have said it, told me it was very helpful. So we can link to that in the show notes. Okay. And have you found this approach where you say some ideas for your podcast, the more direct approach, are you finding that is working better for you? I would say it's working just as well. But the reason why I choose that is because it feels more upfront and straightforward, which I appreciate. So I'm always looking at like, for me, I don't just want to fix something because it's broken, or I think it can work better. I want to fix something if if I could be better, Mm -hmm. if I could connect better. Because that's like, I really enjoy the intention of being on the leading edge mm. and not just taking a template for granted, but actually being part of what's leading the curve of how we communicate skillfully, obviously in dating, but also in business. And like I've mentioned, they're, oh my God, the same in so many ways. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's working. It's working as well. Not better, but I feel better. So sure. <laughs> that would that, that that is a net gain for that. Cool. Okay. Now we've talked about some really good books that uh, have come up in the conversation. You know, one of them is The Pumpkin Plan. Then there's Better Than Before uh, by Gretchen Rubin, where we talked about the four kinds of people and habits that work around those personality types, the externally and internally imposed decision makers, the rebels, the obligers, and the questioners. Are there any other books that you recommend the audience checks out? Well, the the Pumpkin Plan by Mike Michalowicz. I don't know if we actually talked about that. We haven't talked about it in detail, no. Yeah, in detail. But um, his other book, Profit First, is uh-huh. incredible. I swear. I mean, I think, I and I don't often say like, oh, everyone should do this. But everyone really should read Profit First. Okay. Everyone really should read that. People that take me up on that are like, thank you so much. Because <laughs> it's so good. It helps you be really in control of your business's finances and know where everything is going and why and have a system and structure that I didn't even think was possible before reading that book. So it doesn't have to do with pitching, but it, it does because if you feel in control and peaceful about your business, then all your communication is going to naturally come off better because you feel better. Okay. You know? Cool. So I recommend that book. I always recommend that book. Okay. We'll definitely put that in the show notes too. So this episode will be available at ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 141. So you can grab all the show notes there. Now, 
How do listeners find out more about you, Sarah? And is there anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye? Yeah. So if you want to learn more about my business and see how the things we've talked about apply to my branding and how do I speak with my ideal clients, you can go to introvertedalpha.com and see what I have. You can get on my email list if you're curious about the emails that I send and just play around the site. And yeah, that's a good way to know to learn more. I actually checked out your website yesterday and I really enjoyed the about page and how the name Introverted Alpha came to be. I think it's a very, very cool name. Uh, And I really love the fact that you've credited the person who came up with the idea as well. So kudos to you for doing that. But yeah, it's a really cool name and I, I love the I love the way you've built your business. I love the website and I highly recommend people go and check it out because it's a beautiful looking website. So thank you very much thank for you. being on the show, Sarah, and I look forward to having you back on again soon. Thank you so much, Ash. It was, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 